afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. You know, the program is for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, well, the program is designed exactly for someone like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't necessarily have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. Rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is often the best way to understanding. That's what this program's all about. Today's, today's guest is Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City, Missouri. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions at any time by email to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program at area code 314-821-0850, anywhere in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, or anywhere in the lower 48, you can call in toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Lawrence, welcome back. Yes, it's good to be back. How are you, Brother Kip? <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting cabin fever. Don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. A little bit too, yeah. Oh yeah, this is a an interesting time that we live in right now. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> and you know uh, what we're doing now. You know the the LCMS does not have the authority to tell individual congregations whether they should shut down or not. We're we're not that kind of an organization. That's up to the individual congregations. They know what they need and they know what their situation is. However, a lot of them are now shut down and doing services by remote. And I understand that is perfectly fine. In fact, uh, you know, we're, we air our services. We air services here over at KFUO Radio as well. However, there, there's one thing you can't do over the air, and that's Holy Communion. Exactly. Now, <laughs> President Harrison has actually written a... Uh, has sent out an email warning against something I'd never heard of, but I can see where this could happen, called in-house consecration. He says, uh-uh, don't do that. That is wrong. He warns against that, as does a number of other uh, organizations within the LCMS. Now, maybe we should talk about what exactly is consecration, and why would this idea of home consecration be wrong? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, consecration um, is uh, the, the setting apart of um, the elements, the bread and the, the wine, um, for holy use. Um, it is when we use the, the words of institution in connection with uh, the bread and wine for holy communion, um, and that's, uh, that's consecration. Um, and so, you know, we we take uh, we believe that uh, when we have um, the Lord's Supper, um, there's more than just bread and wine now, um, because it's consecrated and because we are taking and eating um, in a sort of a fellowship or commune, communal meal, commune, communal meal. Um, then we are also having the very body and blood of Christ. And that's why we, uh, you know, we treat even the bread and wine after we commune. We are very careful how we, uh, you know, take how we treat it afterward because 
Once you consecrate, you don't want to do anything that's going to desecrate. Yeah, so it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's very important that we do do it according to the institution of Christ when we um, consecrate. And I can see why he's against um, in-house um, consecration because it's like trying to do communion remotely. <laughs> You know, um, I can see why, on the one hand, why people would want to do that. I can understand uh, because uh, with churches closing down um, for the pandemic, um, nobody's having communion. And so there are a lot of um, Christians out there who are going to feel that hunger for communion. They're going to want to commune. And, uh, you know, now that, you know, we have all these technologies that we never used to have before, uh, people are going to say, well, if we're going to use technology to spread the word, well, why couldn't we use it in this way also? Um, They are mistaken, of course, um, but uh, I can certainly understand the, the desire to want to do that or the hunger for communion. You know, this is not the first time the church has been through something like this, but it's the first time that we have had the technology that make us want to remotely, um, you know, consecrate, um, which, you know, is what he's, uh, President Harrison is against, this kind of in-house um, consecration. Um, in fact, I was reading something about the flu uh, back in 1918, between 1918 and 1919. And that was also a time when the church went through something similar, when we um, churches were closed down um, um, temporarily, and uh, there were no services, no communion. And yeah, I imagine the Christians back then too must have had that hunger to to take communion, and when they could commune again, that must have been a a joyous occasion. Um, And also, you know, back in the days when you had what they called the circuit riders, uh, Christians, uh, even Lutheran churches didn't have communion every Sunday um, because they would have to wait until the circuit rider was in town and uh, he could uh, consecrate the elements and... and, uh, um, distribute communion so that they could commune together. Um, and and so, you know, we've been through things like this before. In fact, this hunger to, you know, sort of uh, made me think back of a, uh, a situation that I had when I first uh, came to St. James. And it wasn't, it wasn't until after maybe a couple of months and uh, I received a call, I think, 2 o'clock one morning. And apparently we had a member that uh, I had not gotten to know yet because I was new. And uh, he was at home. He had, uh, he was dying from cancer. And uh, he didn't think he was going to make it through the night. And he wanted uh, to commute one more time before he passed away. And uh, sure enough, I got up out of my bed at two o'clock, got dressed, went over to his uh, his home and uh, 
and communed him. Um, he didn't die that night. I think it was, he died a couple days later. But I can understand someone having that um, hunger, that desire to commune and for pastors to want to to give communion to people who have that hunger. Um, but uh, I agree with also President Harrison and um, and our seminaries and CTCR and district presidents who are cautioning against um, trying to do this remotely using technology uh, because it's problematic um, to to do that. And what's what the problem is is uh, first of all. <laughs> Even though we may have this hunger and desire to commune, we should never, first of all, treat communion like it's an emergency. Baptism is an emergency. You know, we, if someone need, if someone is, you know, you don't want anyone to die without baptism. And so we would tell, even in the hospital, if that child is in trouble, don't wait for me to get there. Um, the Christian that is there, whoever that's there, just baptize this child and because uh, it's an emergency. But we don't treat uh, communion as if it's an emergency. Um, it is not. In fact, we don't commune children. We wait until they um, grow up and, uh, and have been uh, catechized, have learned the catechism and uh, been confirmed before we before we commune then. So, you know, they, we can't, you know, we don't treat communion as if it's an emergency the same way we treat baptism as an emergency. Um, and so even though we're going through this pandemic, um, we, you know, the caution is, yeah, let us wait or let us um, find another way to come together rather than to try and do it um, remotely. Because, uh, you know, when you look at the way communion was instituted, there is a, it, it's part of, it is called Holy Communion for a reason, because it has to do with the community, um, the brothers and sisters in Christ coming together and sharing a common meal. Um, and so you lose that community if you try to do it uh, remotely. Um and the pastor, the pastor doesn't have oversight, the kind of oversight that he's supposed to exercise when he's doing communion remotely. Um, because part of, part of the pastoral responsibility is to make sure that the, you know, the, right, um, the right elements are used, that bread and wine is used. You, know, you can't have somebody remotely and you don't know what he's using, um, for example. Or, um, you know, who is to commune and who is not to commune? Um, there's pastoral care that is involved in communion. But there is that communal part of it where you have to be together. When you look at even the way St. Paul talks about it, um, he says um, in, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. That means Jesus is with his disciples at the Last Supper. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is 
for you. Um, do this in remembrance of me. Because in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, so there is a part of the community there where you point into this that we are doing right here and now and not something that is being done um, remotely. It would be like you have uh, bread and wine where you are at your house, and I'm saying that bread, that wine, uh, I don't think that's the way it was instituted. And so, you know, you lose the community and you lose the oversight if you try to do this remotely. So there is this caution um, to to not do communion over some sort of a, um, service that is being televised somehow remotely. And that means, you know, we're not even communing together because one person could be playing the service say, on YouTube, one person could be playing it at 8 o'clock in the morning, and another one playing the same service maybe um, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, we're not necessarily even communing at the same time or communing together if, uh, if we're doing it remotely. So I really do understand this caution not to treat communion as if it's an emergency, and that now that we have the technology to to do certain things, that we should go ahead and do it. Um, I hope I'm making sense to you. Yeah, actually, it does. Because um, as you pointed, because I, I was going to ask you, because you know, I know that you know I'm not ordained, but I could perform a baptism under an emergency situation. Uh, I cannot, however, consecrate the bread and the wine. Now, this is the the other. Two-part question of this, uh, the consecration, does the, the pastor have to be physically present before the bread and wine to consecrate it, which I would assume is the case? And secondly, yes. when, it is, when it is given out, it must be given out through an ordained minister. I can't give it to myself. I can't have a non-ordained person giving it to me. Is that correct? That is correct. That is correct, um, because there is pastoral oversight that is um, that is a part of um, the institution. Um, I can't just, um, you know, in fact, even when I was a vicar, I was not allowed to consecrate the elements, even though I am right there in the chancel with, uh, with my bishop. He's not going to let me consecrate because I'm not ordained. You know, even if I'm there, I'm not in the chancel with him. Um, but he's going to consecrate, and I may assist him in distributing um, the, the host and the wine. But uh, I'm not even going to consecrate. I don't even do, I didn't even do absolutions then um, because I was not ordained. Um, so, you know, there is, uh, you know, pastoral oversight, too, that, um, to do it remotely, then the pastor is not present. Uh, in fact, when you go to see a homebound member or a shut-in, you know, a homebound member or a sick member in the hospital, you're taking communion to them. So you are still present and you are consecrated in their presence. 
and do and, and communing then. You're not doing it remotely. It's not like I'm on the phone and you know, you know, Mrs. Miller is in the nursing home and you're communing her that way. Um we just don't I you know, really would caution um any church out there that is considering this. I can understand their desire to want to do that, but I would really caution them not to not to do that. And I think President Harrison is is correct. Well, I've mentioned a couple of times that, you know, my wife is a Roman Catholic, and one of her grandchildren recently went to the first, uh, the first communion, and I went to the church with her, um, did not participate, obviously, but one thing that I saw that, that just really took me away was that they were giving communion to the people in the church, but the communion was being delivered not by the priest, but by lay people, and uh, that, that just just blew me away you see and that's different because i grew up roman catholic in jamaica and uh, if i recall they even they would not um, that would not have happened in jamaica among the roman catholics back then they would not have allowed anyone to handle um consecrated bread and wine except a priest even back then so yeah this is this is kind of a change too, even for Roman Catholics uh, to even you know to practice any kind of a loose have any kind of a loose or open communion practice, which is also one of the concern too with doing it remotely. Um, how do you make sure that you're not practicing open communion? Uh, because too often you know there is that temptation in the church to just say, why don't we just commune whoever wants to commune? Um, and if you're doing it remotely, then how do you know who is communing? And you could be practicing open communion um, without, you know, without knowing it. Um, so, you know, that is one of also another reason why we should be, um, be cautious not to try to have this have the Lord's Supper in any kind of a distant, you know, um, the person is far away, the pastor is not there, and you know, the, you know, there's just this distance between the pastor and and the person communing. That I don't think that's what communion is about. If if it is about the community, that's not a community. That's not coming together. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do, and. You know the the LCMS has has uh, long practiced the uh, concept of of closed communion, and uh, I I must admit the first time I went to St James before I was a, a member, uh, the uh, gentleman I think it was Brother James uh, had when I walked in asked me if I was Missouri Synod I told him I was, and thank heavens he <laughs> took my word for it and I was able to get communed that day. Uh, but you know the uh, I think Luther himself actually said that it wasn't necessary to do it every 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 week. I think that he said there was allowable that there be a, a gap. He understood that there would be times when people couldn't do it, or the pat the, the priest that uh, the pardon me the pastor would would be gone, and that there would be times simply it couldn't be done, and it was not necessarily a bad thing or a sin if you couldn't commune. 
at least i think he said i think he said something like a minimum of, of four times a year but i'm not sure which you know uh, you know which has led many to not have communion regularly or you know on every sunday um and i don't think that's what he meant either that you shouldn't have it often so on the one hand you can have this practice where you um try to have it communion very infrequently and then you can have the other extreme where you want to do it even remotely but you're right i mean you know uh, sometimes you know a person might be ill sometimes i've visited members in the hospital but because of their condition or the medication they are taking they're not allowed to have wine at the same time so i might visit them and still not commune them they will have to just wait um until whatever condition they have is over before they can commune and so that happened even with individuals now it's just that it is happening to the entire church at the same time because we're going through this pandemic and we are um trying to distance ourselves for a period of time to see if we can um break the spreading of the disease but you're right um you know we cannot going going without communion for a little while is not a sin um it's not a sin again it's not an emergency that we have to that we have to have communion and have to do it every sunday we want to do it every sunday because you know um that's what they that's what the, the apostles did you know they would get together for the breaking of bread on the first day of the week so you know um so we 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 like to have communion um weekly but in a case like this um it is okay to postpone communion and to not have it for a while are you there hello 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 are you there brother kip Hello. Ah, there we go. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, I can. Hear I found like that 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 <laughs> sound like that silly commercial. Can you hear me now? You know, yeah. Sorry about that. Got a little glitch here. Because <laughs> we're doing things completely different now. I'm at your. I'm at home. You're at your home, and Stephanie's <laughs> at the station trying to put everything together, and uh, <laughs> we're having all sorts of fun. Uh, but the Lord provides. But you know, in the early days of the church in America, in fact, I think one of the reasons why the Synod was formed uh, was that there were these scattered congregations throughout the old Pacific Northwest and what have you back in the 1840s and so. And I know that uh, one of my ancestors was one of the early uh, pastors who went riding around to the churches. And there, he found that there were cases there where people were trying to to perform communion they were using one of the elders or someone they trusted to do the consecration and actually I this I think is one of the reasons why it was formed because you know because he saw that and knew immediately it was wrong and you know he and got got together with you know with Carl Walther and some of the others and they actually were able to get the synod formed I think partially to take care of the situation to make sure that all of these churches were following the same doctrine right right 
Yeah, that's yeah part of uh, what it means to uh, to being in, in this synod, to walk in concord, to walk in in agreement um, with each other doc- doctrinally, and uh, you know if we got you know if we're gonna have. In fact, you know, one of the things um, one of my colleagues um, said to me, I was talking to a couple of them about this practice, and uh, one said, if you can, um, if you can commune somebody remotely, then you can also have uh, remote members. You know, instead of having my, if my member moved to New York, that person doesn't have to transfer their membership then to a church in New York, they could still remain a member of St. James and just um, remotely be a member. And that's not how we do things. Um, because, you know, part of communion is to be a part of the community. If if a member of mine moved to New York, what do I do? I call the pastor closest to that person and say, hey, I have a member that is now living in your area. Can you go see this person? And uh, even call the member and say, um, Pastor so-and-so is in your area. Uh, maybe you should visit that church. Why? Because you want that person to be able to commune um, with brothers and sisters in Christ, be a part of the community. I don't try to remotely keep that person as a member. Um, you, you transfer them. Even if they're going to be there for a while, then at least they should be able to commune in another church close by rather than you try to commune them remotely. And then for that matter, why couldn't somebody join my church that is uh, from another state? I mean, he doesn't have to be here to be a member. He can be a member even though he is far away. And that's not how we do things. We try to be members of the church that is close to us in our area, one that we can get to and be a part of the community when we have communion. But yeah, well, that was actually, well, ahead. that was actually a part of my story, you know, when I joined, uh, when I joined uh, St. James, and we'll go into that a little bit, but uh, Stephanie's reminded me that we've got to take a break right now, and so we're going to go do that, and we're going to come back in about two or three or four minutes, and we'll talk some more. On Sunday mornings, Worldwide KFUO has been broadcasting live worship services for those unable to attend worship or those who enjoy hearing God's Word. This Sunday, our 8 a.m. worship comes from Peace Lutheran Church in St. Louis, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Dennis Castens. Our 1045 worship comes from Hope Lutheran Church in St. Anne, Missouri with presiding pastor Reverend Tim Ostermeyer. Join us on Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Hello, I'm Gary Duncan. The COVID-19 pandemic is affecting our routines, vocation, and worship. Recently, you received a mailing about our annual share fundraising event. However, during this unprecedented time, KFUO Radio is postponing our on-air portion of share until June 25th through the 27th. Gifts can still be made through the mail and online, plus 
Those gifts will be matched by this year's matching fund. I know times are tough, but when you are able to bless our ministry, please do so. Opportunities to share the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ increase at times like this. And as a partner, you provide for those in our neighborhoods and around the world to hear the gospel message through KFUO Radio. I pray for you and your safety, and I ask for you to pray for KFUO, our staff and volunteers, during this difficult time. And again, our plans are to move the broadcast dates of our on-air share until June 25th through the 27th. Thank you for listening and supporting KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Being pursued is a terrifying place to be. And unfortunately, we all live there. But the good news is that we're not the only ones being pursued. You and I have a Lord who pursues the pursuer. We have a Savior who will not let the enemy of his people have the last word. Pastor Ryan Tonetti, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. A building in Washington, D.C. has established itself as an irrefutable repository to watch the transformation of the Bible over time. There are 1,500 editions in more than 150 languages, including historic Bibles from around the world and a rare edition of the Gutenberg Bible. That building is the Library of Congress, established on this date in 1800 by signature of President John Adams. The opening of Museum of the Bible in 2017, less than a mile away, complements that historic collection. The Library of Congress continues to be an important resource for the study of the Bible and the historical impact of the Bible on Western culture. There's certainly room in D.C. for two vibrant and culturally relevant collections of historical and modern Bibles. This Book of Books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back. We're... Going with uh, Let's Talk, the pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen, and the pastor today is Pastor Wayne Lawrence of St. James Lutheran Church in University City. And we are talking about consecration and why it shouldn't be done in-house or remotely, why it is so essential to have a pastor do it, uh, both for the consecration purposes and for the distribution itself. Now, Pastor, when I first came to St. Louis, you know, I was a member of a of a community that was called Our Savior's Community out in Palm Springs, California, the LCMS church there. Uh, very different type of church. It was, it was a, a lot of people. I mean, it, it was a packed church. And uh, I, while I can't say enough good things about Pastor Coppersmith, who was the pastor there, uh, there were too many people there you know, for me. You know, it's just something I I could not relate to. <laughs> sitting in the in the in the in the church with three or four hundred people at one time, uh, when it came to Missouri, uh, trying to figure out where I was going to go and what I was going to do, and uh, when I saw St. James, which was such a small congregation, and in contrast to what I had been used to. And also, um, my congregation in California did not do communion as frequently. We do it every week, uh, I mean, here at St. James. That was not the case with uh, our Savior's community. And I did miss that. 
And when I first came uh, to St. James, as I mentioned earlier, before I was a member, uh, Brother James, who was the, the gentleman who meets us at the door, uh, he obviously knew I wasn't a member, but he did ask specifically if I was LCMS, to which I applied. I, 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 uh, affirmatively, uh, I, I replied affirmatively. And this is something that I think is very important to realize is that there's this community regardless of where we are. You know, as I said, I came from California, but I came here to this church and as soon as it was established, I was LCMS. You know, I, w I was embraced with open arms. And this is something that can happen worldwide, nationwide. And uh, it, I can't tell you how much it, how much, how important it was to me to feel at home like that, Pastor. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, you know, pastors like um, to have a lot of members in their church. Um, but uh, you're right. I think sometimes, you know, members, uh, uh, if the church is not packed, sometimes, you know, they, there's a kind of a, a closeness that you see uh, between the members. They get to know each other. The pastor gets to know, gets to know each person uh, personally, too. And, uh, you know, um, in, in big churches, you, you can't always know all your members, Um the way I know the members here, that's true. Um, but also, one of the things I wanted to point to was um, how St. Paul was uh, very critical of the church at Corinth because of their loose communion practice. If you notice, one of the things Paul points out in First um, Corinthians chapter 10 was uh, the fact that there is a oneness that happens because you're receiving, you're sharing the same meal. And so there's a oneness between the people that are eating together. Um, it's, it's a oneness because it's one bread, he would say. And in fact, he was also very critical of um, eating food sacrificed to pagan altars or pagan altars. Because you say that makes you one with that group too, and so there was um, caution that they should avoid um, avoid that kind of um, communion, that coming together as one. And also, he would criticize them for for um, having communion in a way where some gets some of the members get drunk, and uh, there are others who didn't eat at all. And he goes, that's not communion. You can't have one person eating and even getting drunk and the other person not getting anything to eat at all. So you could see that there was a sort of a community, a communal meal that uh, was uh, understood um, in communion because he would criticize the Corinthians for not observing that community, that communion meal that they are supposed to have. So, you know, to do it remotely, again, that is what I think is um, is missing, is that uh, community, that coming together of the brothers and sisters in Christ to break bread um, together. Um, remotely, that just doesn't work. Yeah, I remember uh, <laughs> between the time I, I moved from California and by the time I 
went to St. James, there was a, a, a period where I had not been to church for a variety of reasons. And uh, one of the pastors at the IC was a good friend of mine, and we were talking one day. And I was trying to justify why I didn't really think I needed that, that to go to that church that often. And I remember he just looked at me and he simply said, Kip, you need the bread and wine. Yeah, exactly. You need the bread and wine. So, yeah, you know, and and so that is part of, otherwise, you're right, because, you know, I can read the Bible at home. I can read Bible um, study materials at home. I can listen to sermons being preached on on television. But the one thing I can't do um, remotely is communion. And I really think that if we introduce this practice, then yes, that's what we're doing. We're saying to to Christians, you no longer have to uh, come to church. You can do everything remotely, um, even communion. <laughs> and that's it. No, you can't do that. <laughs> no. We're learning. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think yeah. it's a, a good idea. Well, one of the I things... One of the things we have at St. James, uh, you know, when it, it's in the bulletin every Sunday, uh, it talks about we ask people who are not familiar with us not to participate in the communion, although we welcome them to the service. Uh, but you warn that they can do great harm by accepting communion if they are not understanding it. What is this harm? Let's go into that a little bit. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. and St. Paul talks about that, too, that, um, you know, if we eat and drink unworthily, instead of eating and drinking the forgiveness of sins, we are eating and drinking judgment on ourselves. And that is one of the reasons why pastoral care and pastoral oversight is so crucial to communion, to Holy Communion. Um, because, yes, a person can eat and drink judgment on themselves um, if they're eating and drinking unworthily, um, either by not recognizing that what I'm eating and drinking here is the body and blood of Christ, not believing that, then you are sinning against not bread and wine, but you are sinning against the very body and blood of Christ. And yeah, pastoral oversight is crucial for communion, and that is something you can't do remotely. Something else I was thinking that we're having a problem again. Hello, hello. Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay. Sorry about that. I was uh, not getting a reading here. uh, Okay. Uh, Something else I was thinking is that there might be listeners to this program who are not Lutheran and do not understand exactly the concept. I mean, you talk about transubstantiation, consubstantiation, all this other stuff. What is it that we as Lutherans believe about Holy Communion? Um, Yes, and and, and that's important. Um, You know, I grew up Roman Catholic in Jamaica, and uh, the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church was... Um, they use that term um, transubstantiation, and what they meant by that uh, is that um, when the priest 
consecrate the elements, when the priests consecrate the bread and wine, um, it changes. In the Roman Catholic Church, the belief is that the bread is no longer bread, but it becomes the body of Christ. And the wine is no longer wine. It becomes the blood of Christ. It may look like bread. It may taste like bread. It may look like wine. It may taste like wine, but it is not. It is the body and blood of Christ. Uh, with, uh, with Lutherans, we believe in consubstantiation. Um, we believe that you still have bread there, um, but in and with and under that bread, you are eating the very body of Christ. And in, with, and under that wine, wine is still there, um, you are drinking the blood of Christ. And so the difference between us and the Roman Catholics, we both believe in the real presence, but the difference between us is that one believes that uh, the bread and wine changes, and the other one believes that, no, bread and wine is still there, but uh, there is, uh, um, there is uh, the body in Christ become present in with um, the bread and wine um, for us to eat and drink. There's a communion, yes. And so there's a difference between us and Roman Catholics, um, even on that issue, even though we uh, share the, 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 the belief in the real presence. Um, and in fact, that's one of the reasons why we don't commune together either. Because, you know, if you are not in, in doctrinal fellowship with another church, and not just the doctrine of communion, but... Um, complete doctrinal fellowship. That is why, you know, for, for confirmation, we try to go through the whole catechism um, with someone before we confirm them uh, to make sure that they are in doctrinal agreement with us on all areas. And then we can commune together. Um, and whenever there is doctrinal difference, yes, then um, one of the ways we... Uh, um, distinguish the difference is by not communing with those that um, that believe differently from us. So yeah, that's that's another important thing where you have where pastoral oversight is um, is is so important when it comes to holy communion. Well, that's one thing that the LCMS has been very strong about for years, for decades. Is it? maintains a consistency in its doctrine. So many other churches, uh, even the Catholics, and certainly many of the Protestants, change their doctrine as per the, the times, as per the society. Well, we can't do that. We have to maintain our doctrine. We know what is true. The Bible tells us. We have the catechisms. We know this is true, and we cannot bend. And this is part of the reason why we do we are so tight on things like closed communion and who, you know, and, and learning confirmation class. I mean, I remember, I remember going through confirmation class for two years <laughs> before I was finally communed. <laughs> and I remember, and I got to tell you now, I mean, that was a long time ago, and I'm still learning about the church even today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah this, um, you know, to... to in fact, that is one of the reasons why I think there is this caution um, coming from um, from President Harrison from the seminary, from CTCR, 
from district presidents. Um, sorry, one second. <coughs> yeah, there is this caution because anytime you start to change your practice, those two things go hand in hand. One second. <coughs> yeah, those two things go hand in hand. Doctrine and practice. If you start changing your practice, eventually your doctrine is going to change. And if you change your doctrine, your practice is going to change. And so, you know, there is always this caution about don't change your doctrine and don't change your practice. Keep them together because they affect each other. And so, right, I mean, that's one of the things you are noticing with um, with communion and, uh, and and so forth, and just the, the, our church body in general, why right? it seems so conservative to to outsiders. Why is it you have to do things this way? Well, <laughs> it's important that we keep our doctrine and practice um, together because they do affect each other, you know? Oh, yeah. Hello, there we go. <laughs> I'm sorry, oh, yeah. I'm having all sorts. Yeah, I'm having all sorts of problems here. But you know, it's that's it, and that's was one of the big reasons for the uh, the 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 split that the LCMS had back in the uh, '60s, uh, where there were those who somehow believed that the the doctrine could change from the revealed truths, and right. uh, yeah, yeah, because. There was def- there was clearly you know a break with with um, with a doctrinal understanding. Um, I think the the split that if you're referring to the split that happened in seventy four nineteen seventy four, and it it was about the that was the time when they split over the the scriptures whether um, we believe the Bible is the word of God or not, and uh, you know again here is you know if we believe the Bible is the Word of God, um, then we look at what the Bible says about communion. And then, you know, we arrive at a doctrine from the Bible that uh, as to what communion is and how communion should be practiced. Um, and that's important. Now, if you're going to just depart from that, um, then, you know, then here comes the question again, you know, are you getting your doctrine from the Bible, are you looking at what the Bible says about communion and the way communion is to be practiced? If that's not what's informing your practice or your doctrine, then um, we, you know, we, you're right. And there would that would create a problem um, even within our synod, and we certainly don't want another one like that. <laughs> yeah, and that did indeed lead to a split. Um, and, and we look at it today. I mean, I, I follow some of the uh, some of the websites that uh, follow the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, and I simply don't recognize it as Lutheran. It, it is so completely opposed, or not opposed. That's the wrong word. It is so completely distanced from our beliefs and from what we do and from what Luther taught. And uh, I'm just sad that that has happened. Yes. Oh, yes. You can see where, um, you know, they have departed um, from Scripture in just in just so many ways. 
and that there's a, you know, in, within our synod, we want to at least um, not to not depart from scripture, and we want to keep doctrine and practice um, hand in hand. And again, that I think is the reason why you have this caution coming from from the president or from the seminaries, CTCR district presidents. Um, they are definitely going to caution um, any kind of um, deviation from 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 practice, from right practice, from practicing communion the way it ought to be practiced. Oh, do we have advice? You as a pastor, let me ask you, do you have advice for people who are not able to go to church but are hungering for the for communion? What what should they do? What is your advice to them? If they can't go to church, I'm sorry. Well, and yeah, they, they if they can't if they can't go to church uh, because of the restrictions of this uh, virus or for whatever reason, but they want the communion, they miss it. What is your advice to them? My advice would either to if you can't wait, if you really would like communion, then allow the pastor to come to you. Um, I would, you know, I would get up, I would get up out my bed two o'clock in the morning to commune somebody. So if someone really wanted the Lord's Supper and couldn't come out for some reason, would I go to them? Would I wear a mask? Would I wear gloves? Yes. And then I would go in their presence. Um, I would, you know, I would expect them to be wearing um, a mask also. And um, I would consecrate right there and uh, step back six feet, and uh, they can take and eat. Um, but there's a way to do it. I mean, it can be done. You know, I should say this, too, about this um, this uh, draconian lockdown. I really think it's um, – I don't think it's as necessary as they are making it. I really think that if we take certain precautions – um, when I go out, I still go to the store. I still go to the supermarket or whatever. And I just put on my mask, you know. And uh, the first thing I do when I come home is I wash my hands. And I try not to touch my face when I touch surfaces out there. Um, so, and, you know, the, the social distancing about staying six feet from someone, um, we can observe that too. In fact, we still have services at St. James. It's usually about seven or or nine of us there, and we sit uh, a good six feet or more than six feet from each other. We don't shake hands. We don't hug. And I put on, you know, one of those, um, you know, those gloves that you use when you're serving food. I put those on my hands before serving communion. So, it, you know, it can be done. In fact, there are priests and pastors who are willing to meet members in their parking lot and uh, and commune them there. But I think it's important that at least the pastor is present um, with the bread and wine, and the person also that is communing is present. And, uh, you know, if the consecration happens in their presence, the distribution happens also in their presence. So even if you had uh, 10 cars pull up in the parking lot, 
Could I go out there and consecrate for them and serve them communion? Yes, but we are all together in that same place. And I think that's important, is to be in the same place rather than someone is, you know, at home and uh, I'm at the church, uh, you know. So there are ways to do it, um, you know, even if the person is afraid to 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 leave that quarantine situation and, uh, and, and, and go to church. Because even the... Well, President Harrison... Well, President Harrison has also... Uh, Go ahead. Okay, yeah, well, Pre President Harrison has also said, you know, we, that we have to keep in mind both the Fourth Commandment, which means we have a certain obedience to the civil authorities to follow what their directions are, and then, of course, the Fifth Commandment, where we do not want to do anything that puts our fellow people at risk. True. True, but even the members that um, are self-quarantined, they go to the store, you know. In fact, uh, my wife run into some of our members at the store, some of the ones who are high risk um, and should be, should be at home. They still go to the store, but what do they do? They put on their mask and their gloves and they go to the store. Um, and that is allowed. So, you know, if someone wanted me to come and see them in their home, um, wearing a mask, wearing gloves, and they are wearing masks and gloves, um, I would do that too. And I think President Harrison has very wisely pointed out uh, that, again, the LCMS, we're not a hierarchical church. He cannot dictate. Even the uh, district presidents can't dictate. But... The individual congregations make their own decisions based on their own circumstances, bearing in mind doctrinal purity. Right, right, right. And that's the thing, and, and that's where the caution is. The caution is, you know, you have various situations, but how do we um, move forward and still maintain doctrinal purity um, under the, under the circumstance, you know? We have this pandemic going. How do we maintain doctrinal purity um, while we take care of um, the souls of the people that God has put in our care? How do we do that? Well, Pastor, we're coming into the uh, final minute of the program. Um, I'd like to ask you if uh, you have any final thoughts or perhaps a closing prayer that puts us into perspective. Yes, uh, you know, this is indeed a time to pray um, for our country, for our president, and for all the people that work on the, the front line. My wife is a nurse too. She still goes to work. They don't close the hospitals. And, uh, you know, my prayer is that the Lord would remove this pandemic from us, that he would uh, enable us to trust him um, even during it, and that he would remove it from us, that he would, that the Lord would listening to open the pastor is in. all these people in, in our care, the church, the hospitals, our president, and grant them the calm strength that they need in this time. You can make a Amen. Safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.